It's our mission to give IT pros a break. So, here it is. Wish it was longer, but to keep saving IT pros time and money, we only paid for a 30-second ad. From racks and PDUs to backup power, Eaton and Triplite have joined forces to bring more sanity to your day every day. Visit eaton.com slash audio today. Cloudcast Media presents, from the massive studios in Raleigh, North Carolina, this is The Cloudcast with Aaron Delp and Brian Gracely, bringing you the best of cloud computing from around the world. Good morning, good evening, wherever you are, and welcome back to the Cloudcast. We're coming to you live from our massive Cloudcast studios here in Raleigh, North Carolina. And it is Aaron for Cloud News this week. And it is 2023, first show of 2023. I cannot believe it is 2023. But we have a fantastic show for everyone. We're going to be doing the first of what we call our Look Ahead series. For those that are new to the podcast, every January... We pick a couple topics. Today's topic is platform engineering. A couple topics we think will be very relevant and worth digging into and really want to get an industry expert and talk about it and see where that segment of the market is heading in 2023. So we're going to be doing that, but let's jump into cloud news first of all. First article we have out there, and again, links in the show notes for everyone that wants to follow along. Really interesting IBM of all stocks. Um, And this comes from our good friend, Jordan Novent over at CNBC. IBM was the best large cap tech stock in 2022. It was one of only two stocks that was even up for the year. Um, And again, for those that don't follow the markets here in America, the stock market here in America has the had the worst uh, year uh, for returns for tech stocks since uh, 2008. And the other one that made money uh, was actually VMware, but mainly that was because it was acquired by Broadcom and acquired at a premium. So Uh, At the end of the day, IBM really is kind of an outlier here. Now, their business uh, has been super interesting. They are really figuring out a way to coexist with the big public cloud providers. They are partnering with Amazon. They're partnering with Microsoft. They're doing some big acquisitions like Red Hat, for instance, but then they're doing some smaller acquisitions as well. And... Of course, their consulting business that they've always had is continues to generate, gosh, a, a third or more of their revenue, if I remember correctly, to the point where they they generated seven hundred and fifty two million in free cash flow in the latest quarter, uh, and paid out one point five billion in div- dividends. Um, that's just mind boggling to me. So kudos to IBM because I, you know, a past employee once upon a time, there definitely has been some highs and lows with IBM over the years, and it's good to see them on a high point. Now, moving on to the second one. The second one is over by uh, Scott Galloway. Scott Galloway did some 2023 predictions, and and you know, just like everyone else, we're doing some predictions here. Uh, really, really good, insightful analysis of where the industry is going, um, and is there going to be a recession uh, in 2023 or not? Kind of looking at the markets and kind of 
bringing some things to light of average U.S. Uh, tech worker is about 35 years old, which means they were in college in 2008, which is the last time the markets didn't do so well. And so a lot of folks in our industry just don't know what it's like to necessarily have a slowdown or even a downturn. Uh, so lots of predictions around that, lots of predictions around um, TikTok versus streaming TV and kind of the future of attention spans and eyeballs, a little bit of Tesla versus uh, other automakers, a little bit on Airbnb versus competitors, um, you know, really good, just very broad analysis and predictions of where the tech industry is going in 2023. So I suggest you check that out. And finally, this one is uh, a really short article uh, from the Wall Street Journal, uh, but it's a trend. Uh, Europe, and really, I mean, the entire world, but Europe is having problems with data centers and power-hungry data centers in particular. And I mean, basic physics, right? Big data centers generate a lot of heat. What do you do with that heat? And to give you a, for instance, I actually worked for a reseller a long time ago, and we had a big customer here in Raleigh, North Carolina, and they took data center design really to a, a whole new level at the time. And it was all about hot aisles and cold aisles and, and where do you put the, the units and how does the heat dissipate? And they could open up uh, um, roof panels and bring in uh, outside air, depending on the weather temperature, like really taking data center design to a new level. And as these continue to advance, well, what do you continue to do with that hot air? Well, what we're uh, looking at in Europe is potentially taking some of that hot, hot air and powering homes in communities with it. So funneling off the excess heat and using it to heat like municipal networks. Um, so I thought that was a really interesting concept. And uh, there's some companies that are looking into this and uh, how to take advantage of this in Europe. With that, I'm going to close out Cloud News of the Week. And coming up right after the break, as I mentioned, we have our first look ahead for 2023. We're going to be looking ahead at platform engineering, and we're going to be doing it with Rob Hirschfeld right after the break. Today's episode of the Cloudcast is sponsored by Datadog, a real-time monitoring platform that unifies metrics, traces, and logs into one tightly integrated platform. Datadog APM empowers developer teams to identify anomalies, resolve issues, and improve application performance. Begin collecting stack traces, visualizing them as flame graphs, organizing them into profile types such as CPU, I.O., and more. Teams can search for specific profiles, correlate them with distributed traces, and identify slow or underperforming code for analysis and optimization. Plus, with Datadog APM Live Search, you can perform searches across the full stream of ingested traces generated by your application over the last 15 minutes. Try Datadog APM free with a 14-day trial, and Datadog will send you a free t-shirt. Visit datadog.com slash APM cloudcast to get started. That's datadog.com slash APM cloudcast. And we're back. And as Aaron mentioned, uh, Top of the show in the Cloud News of the Week. Um, not a lot of Cloud News of the Week because this is the first show of 2023. So very excited about that. Uh, for those of you who've listened for a while, you know that uh, over the last few years, we've been 
really focusing the month of January on what we call look ahead shows. So, uh, you know, look ahead to what's happening in 2023. We pick um, several sort of big topics that we know uh, that a you're going to be interested in. B we expect kind of a lot of a lot of coverage, a lot of change over the year. And uh, Aaron, we're uh, this is going to be a fun one because uh, you and I not only are, are excited about this topic, but uh, this this guest is a, a super super long time friend of the show, man. So uh, why don't you introduce him? Yeah, absolutely. So it, it it is kind of funny because we do have certain folks over the years who like, okay, we just always super interesting to talk to. And oh, by the way, you know, we, we get to actually see at conferences again, which is something we haven't done for an, uh, a number of years as well. So this week we have Rob Hirschfeld, founder and CEO over at Racken. And, and by the way, it's been a couple of years since we talked. So first of all, welcome back to the show. And it's been great to see you in person at events recently. So what have you been focusing on for the last couple of years, Rob? <laughs> We've been actually on a very consistent mission going all the way back to, I think, when I was first talking to you in my Dell OpenStack days, um, yes. which, which is really trying to make it where people have reusable automation. This idea that you can write automation like it's code what some people would call infrastructure as code and then, and then make it so that you can reuse it so that like you can share it between teams and collaborate on it and have it be site to site with high fidelity or dev test prod with high fidelity or like use things that other people wrote. And then if they improve it and patch it, you could pick it up like a dev library would. Um, th- so that's what Racken is really focused, platform focused engineering on before it was cool. <laughs> it's we've been we've been on that arc for a long time waiting for the name to surface we've called it you know sre and devops and infrastructure is code um I've, 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 we've gone through a ton of different names tried to get something that would stick yeah we uh you and i ran into each other at, at kubecon in detroit and uh we, you know, we were, we were sort of standing in line for food and, uh, we said, oh yeah, we need to, we need to get together. We need to do a show. And I said, I said, man, we're going to do one of these. We'd love to talk about platform engineering and your eyes just lit up. You were like, oh, I, I got some things to say. Um, I, I'm, I'm curious cause you know, you've been, you've been around this space for a while. Um, I feel like to a certain extent we've, we've gone through, like you said, we've gone through, uh, DevOps, uh, SRE, uh, cloud platform has been a thing for a couple of years. Like when, when you think about what people are now talking about in terms of, of cloud platform, is it, is it sort of just the amalgamation of, of all these things that were both, you know, technology centric infrastructure as code, but also kind of people and process centric where we got into, you know, DevOps and SRE, or is this, you know, is there something new in this space that, you know, kind of also has to get unlocked? Oh, wow. That's a good, uh, really, really good point. Um, I think there is something new that's, that's going on. Um, that's a culmination of, of where we've gotten to. And at the same time, there's, there's a whole bunch of, you know, yeah, this is rebadging of, of work that we've been doing. Um, and I, I also do think that there is with <laughs> that doubt, there's a, um, people and process challenge that's coming in, um, from this. And, and I think one of the things that we see from the, the, you know, the, uh, Red Monk the developers, the new King, right. The, the idea of developer empowerment and giving teams a lot of individual authority to make decisions and cloud really rode that, um, is actually the selling motion, um, has created a place where 
we have gotten so good at saying, oh, you have the authority to make these decisions and do things on your own. Uh, and gotten used to selling to people that way. Some of the platform engineering is just coming back and saying, hey, wait, wait a second. I think we're a little over our skis with all this team autonomy. Um, I, I, I can't hire ops teams to support every dev team or, right, sometimes they don't want to deal with, with uh, op, you know, operational issues, you know, the conformance and governance and cost and, um, you know, all those, all those things it becomes a real challenge. So definitely that's a people process problem. Yeah. Yeah. And well, and I'll, I'll kind of dig into that even just a little further, Rob. And, and I'll say like, okay, you hear people say, you know, Hey, it's a cloud platform. And then you hear other folks talking about platform engineering and maybe it's the same, or maybe they're colleagues and you know, who owns the platform, who operates the platform. <laughs> and, and then you'll hear like, okay, is now a quote unquote emerging, you know, occupation, the, product manager of platform engineering and you know, like how realistic is all of this? I, I'm really glad you brought up the for platform engineering. Cause I, I think that that should be catalyzing for everybody. Um, uh, it, you know, everybody listening because and this is one of the things that Gartner came up. Uh, I was at the Gartner infrastructure and operations conference, which is, which is an excellent show. Uh, last week. Um, and one of the things they were saying that sort of made my head explode was, hey, you need a product manager for these platforms your teams have been building. Uh, just like you're asking, and and it's it's spot on. Every company I've I've we work with, the ones we talk to, you know, what we what I see in industry is people have been building platforms themselves. Um, and this goes all the way back to early days in Terraform. I was at the Terraform conference, I think in like 2016, it was the one in Austin. And like half of the presentations about Terraform were of people who had built their own web interfaces for Terraform. <laughs> and this was back, you know, six, six years ago. Um, those are products and, and companies who are, uh, have internal development efforts that have sort of cobbled this stuff together. They you know, platform engineering, I think, is part of this reaction for them saying, oh, we just built all this code. Now we are maintaining an internal development effort and we're going to have to add features to it, add products, add, add capabilities to it, maintain it, treat it like an operational readiness platform, because it is, integrate it to developer self-service, right? There's this long list of stuff. And now all of a sudden, the, the INO teams uh, and the DevOps engineers are finding themselves basically maintaining a product. So Rob, yeah. quick, quick follow-up then, because yeah. this, this is what, and actually nod to, to Brian from his analyst days. Um, and we don't talk much about paths anymore, but it almost mm. feels like platform engineering is, uh, you know, an opinionated paths in your own, <laughs> you, you know, to your own environment, because like, say a paths back when like, I don't know, Red Hat had a paths and Heroku and so all these others, like sure. they were too opinionated and I needed one that was for me. So you, is this almost like building your own paths? Yeah. That, Boy, and, well, no, it's, it's, it's a spot on question because I think this is the thing that we're struggling with. And I'm asking a lot of hard questions inside of Rack N exactly about this. Um, to me, a PaaS, the ones you're naming specifically, are much more developer focused. Mm -hmm. 
And so I think one of the challenges with platform engineering is this idea that we are doing, you know, is it is it a developer self-service enablement thing or is it an operations tooling piece where the platform is is an infrastructure operations land, right? Which is definitely not any of those tools you just named or is it designed to enable all of those developer self-service tools? Yeah, and I, and I think the other I think the other piece of it is, and this is the you know the wonderful thing about our industry is we love to we love to reuse words and then give them two meanings <laughs> and stuff. So like so so in this case we're talking about like platform engineering, and then we've got platform as a service, and and, and you could easily get them confused. Yeah, but I I think to the point of you know in the context of like talking about product manager, you, there's a there's a part of it that what Rob's talking about, like you you've built something, you you kind of have to maintain it as if you're building a product, right? There needs to be a release cycle, and you need to communicate features and so forth. But I think there's also a part of it that, you know, this is, and I think this is the part that that IT and INO teams struggle with is like, you have to treat it as if you were, you know, like a like a marketing product manager in terms of going, you know, let, let's take something simple. You know, the the difference between getting uh, a compute instance on AWS and a compute instance, for example, like on DigitalOcean, even though under the covers you're getting a you're getting an x86 machine with Linux on it or something. Are really two different experiences. Like one of them is is optimized towards simplicity. One of them's optimized towards you know six hundred different variations that are out there. Like that's you know you, I don't think we have to get into doing past services to, to to look at platform, but I I do think there needs to be some thought about like you know am I making something so complicated that the people who are quote unquote supposed to be my customers are like, no, thanks. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm more encouraged to not use you than I even was before uh, what was going on. Well, what you're hitting to me is, is this dilemma that we're pulling apart um, in, in discussions inside of Rackend. Because if you are building developer tooling, you don't want to add in the infrastructure and a lot of the operational conformance, compliance, security, governance, cost. Right. Right. The, that None of that should be surfaced for the developer tooling. And KubeCon uh, was great about this, right? There's this thing called Cluster API that is used to install Kubernetes on other systems. And, you know, it's not an ops-friendly thing. I'll just, you know, I, I'm sure I'll draw a fire from people who love Cluster API. It's great. It, it's an important thing. Developers can use Kubernetes to spin up Kubernetes, and that hits all of the developer self-service enablement, get out of my way things. But the systems that are being spun up are not, you know, Kubernetes cluster API stuff doesn't try to manage those systems. It creates them, destroys them, installs Kubernetes, makes it part of the cluster. But if you have other downstream requirements for those systems or audit or governance, or you have a special image you have to deploy, those are still operational needs. And somebody's managing them, cluster API doesn't care. And it shouldn't. I'm not advocating that cluster API should grow into an infrastructure tool. It should not. This is the point. The platform engineering effort behind it might say, you know what, I'm going to let the people who want to build Kubernetes clusters run that way. And then I'm going to turn around and add in the infrastructure uh, spice, the infrastructure controls and, and management that I need. And this is this is where some people have been running around, unfortunately, saying things like DevOps is dead and long live platform. Yep, that makes sense. That makes sense. Um, let, let me ask you. Let me ask you a follow up, Rob. I, you know, having having lived through the, the you know the, the the DevOps days, whether it's whether it's dead or not, um, definitely not dead. 
I can start there. Yeah, <laughs> go I, ahead. <laughs> I, I, I feel like we never, um, you know, we, we got through certain things, right? There was there was a, a, a time when it, it started getting broken down and we talked about calms and all the kind of kind of pillars of DevOps. And then you had, you know, you had some of the work that, um, you know, Gene Kim and Nicole and, and Jess were doing in terms of, of trying to quantify it, um, you know, the state of DevOps report and, and the work that got done. Um, do you feel like we're, we're at a stage where if somebody said like, hey, uh, you know, we're, we're building a platform, we feel like we're kind of moving towards platform engineering, that somebody could describe what, what good looks like? Or are we still kind of in the storming, forming, mm. norming stages of, of where, that, where that is? Um, such that somebody would go like, hey, I, I can compare to you know, a, a good or we're above, you know, we're better than good. Boy, I love that question. Um, I don't think we're quite there. I, I don't even think actually we're, 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 we're really describing platform engineering teams. And I think people are still arguing over the definition. So we're, we're at the early, the storming um, part, maybe getting into forming, going using the, the formation analogy. Um, but there's a, there's a big uh, but with this. Um, I do think that platform engineering is growing out of a lot of people having done it themselves. So I think there's a lot of um, bespoke platform engineering work. The other thing I think we know very clearly is that platform engineering is not a new wave of IT governance, meaning you're not going to see platform engineering efforts that are, are really masked IT um, ownership efforts, because we're, we're really not going to have, and I think anybody who thinks that this is what platform engineering means, they're in for a very rude awakening. Uh, the INO teams and the platform engineering efforts are not going to turn around and enforce a set of tools and governance and process upstream back into the teams. So, so it's not like we're turning around and saying, this is how you must do Kubernetes. This is how you must do cloud. This is how you must, you know, install systems or do big data. It's, it can't, it's not going to be pushing governance and IT and INO controls into these teams that have not had them before. So I think that the thing that I see very clearly is the number one mandate in platform engineering is developer you know, or team, if you want to be like the RAP team, enablement. Fair. Get out of their way, reduce friction. That is the mantra over and over and over again. And then secondary from that, you have all these other priorities, governance costs, controls, monitoring, you know, audit, all that, all that becomes it's still really important. But that's that's you're you're trying to separate those requirements from the top line, the, the shared top line that every team I talk to get out of your developer's way, get out of your team's ability to deliver. If you're interfering with that, you're not actually a platform team. Yeah. So, so in my mind, <clears throat> developer, that's, that's, that's the new metric. How invisible are you? Right. Exactly. I was like, are you, I was try, are you I was okay? To do are you invisible? <laughs> the, <laughs> yes. the purpose that I, I like to say it this way, the purpose of the platform <laughs> is to disappear. Yeah. That's a nice alliteration to it. And because right, that's that's really what what you're trying to do. You want to be the team behind the curtain, right? Enabling the developers to succeed and go faster and have better ROI and make sure that there aren't governance and conformance and security and reliability problems on the other side. But you you'd better not make those the first priority for these teams. Yeah. So if we if we were to kind of say for a second, the you know, if we say developer consistency 
and efficiency is the goals, right? In your mind, what are the KPIs or metrics for good teams? Like, you know, you know how how do you measure invisible? <laughs> uh, you definitely do things like time to delivery, right? So how long does it take a developer to go from request to delivery? I think we've seen a lot of this with standard DevOps, which is how fast can I turn things over is, is a big part of it. Um, I, I do think... Uh, it's, it's a really good question. I wish I had um, a ton of answers. Um, I think that there is a, the ability to manage cost and to figure out that you are managing cost. I think you can look at security or vulnerability or patching as part of these pieces to figure out what, what that is. Um, and it sounds like a real backwards metric, but the lack of inter- interactions you might be able to measure um, especially if you have a very hands-on or ticket-driven system, if you're eliminating tickets, then that becomes a really, you know, that becomes a good metric. It's always a good metric, but I would be much more incented to think of like, um, let me explain it this way. There, there's a, a tool that's a, a platform that people are excited. This platform's the wrong word here. Um, development self-service portal called Backstage IO seems to be getting a lot of interest and excitement, which is, it's not, a platform is a platform engineering team in that it allows platform engineering teams to do the behind the scenes work, but it's really what I would consider a development developer enablement portal or a self-service portal. Um, and the possible debate here is, is that platform engineering or not? <laughs> um, I, I think that something like backstage is a tool that uh, a platform team might be enabling, but I don't think they're going to, stand up backstage and then say, I'm done. I've, I've created a portal. The portal is not a way to express it. Um, all that's preamble to say, but if you enable something like backstage and give people a button to build clusters, then you can measure the, Oh, I, I was able to stand up, you know, a hundred developer environments with this much back backend effort or with this, you know, this much faster than I did before. Um, yeah. Yeah. A couple, couple things on that. I, I, uh, one is, um, backstage is a, is a technology for those that don't know, and we'll, we'll, we'll put it in the show notes. The backstage is a technology that was created by Spotify. Um, so it's, it's another one of these technologies that's come out of a, a web scale company, kind of similar to, uh, Grafana coming out of, um, uh, whoever they came out of uh, years and years ago, the music, the other music company. Um, but what's interesting is they're, they're now trying to commercialize it. So we, we may have to do a show on backstage um, sooner than later. But the other thing I, as, as Rob was explaining, you know, kind of trying to answer Aaron's question about, you know, how do you, how do you measure invisible? I, I suspect it's one of those things. And I think you were kind of going down this road, which is like, you almost have to start from where you are today. Um, and, and, you know, like let's assume that's a hundred percent friction or whatever. And kind of just start working backwards. And then at, at some point, you're going to kind of run into the same thing we do with, uh, you know, the old five nines term, which is like, you you know, you may think you need to get to 0% friction, but, you know, the cost of getting, say, from 30% friction to 20% may be unbearably expensive. And, but I think if you start, you know, sort of measure from where you are today, call where you are today, you know, 100, and you're working down towards some number that becomes the right uh, you know, the right balance between I'm getting out of the way enough and, uh, you know, this is incredibly expensive to give you the next 10% or whatever it might be. Cause that way, you know, your mileage may vary. Like it might, you know, 50% might be 
really the best thing versus, I don't know, you know, not having any control whatsoever and opening a whole bunch of tickets or something like that. Well, one, one way to think about this, and this is a place where, where, you know, RackN really focuses um, on, on being able to reuse and collaborate around automation. And, and let me explain. If you can reduce the friction for development team for building dev environments, that should be zero. Some friction in a test environment, probably okay. Fair bit of friction in a production environment is fine, right? You want to reduce the friction everywhere, but you don't, you know, to your point, you need to get out of the way in some situations as much as you possibly can and not in others, right? Because at, at the end of the day, one of the things about this whole platform engineering discussion is the acknowledgement that operations, INO, infrastructure and operations is actually responsible for running the, the infrastructure and, and we'll keep doing that. The, one of the things that people got upset about with DevOps is this idea that the development teams would run every, you know, we're, we're full stack. They'd run everything, you know, start to finish and development teams should definitely, but it doesn't own the production environment that is around it. That's, that's a much bigger, much bigger challenge and has, and actually has very different optimization than, than what you want to you want your developers to focus on, right? You want your infrastructure and operations teams to focus on improving shared, common, reusable pieces, doing a lot of things that that move towards you know a single platform. Development teams might want to have variation to accomplish their goals rather than be forced into conformance. But but what we really want to start avoiding is keeping those dev test prod environments, if they're bespoke and different, then you're creating impedance mismatches at each stage. And that from a platform engineering perspective can be really expensive. So as a platform engineering effort, if you enable, if you're like, I'm all in on enabling developers, zero friction, but they build very unique environments that don't translate into test and don't translate into prod well, then you actually have made your jobs higher. You've actually given up authority or you've given up the ability to get the developers to collaborate. So part of what you want to be able to do here is to reliably have, you know, a a dev to production path and enable developers to be very independent. So that's, there's a, there's a balance and a trade-off that people have to think about. Yeah, I, we mentioned we mentioned backstage as a as a technology you're starting to see uh, you know fit into this space. Are you are you seeing any other you know sort of newer technologies or or maybe even technologies that are kind of getting repurposed um, that are you know becoming useful and good fits in this space? Um, you know, I, the, the cluster API example I think is a really good one to me. It was one of those aha moments. Um, of you know when I when I was at KubeCon and realizing just how excited people were about using Kubernetes to spin up Kubernetes, um, and and as an operator or somebody who's operationally focused, you know my head sort of explodes and I'm like ah that's that's not you know you're you're hey you know I have this long list of stuff that's not getting done, but at the same time it's it's the same idea of you know hey I'm going to get out of the way. Of, of doing that work. Um, to, to me, what I'm starting to look at is, you know, a lot of things that we're used to using. Um, there's a whole bunch of orchestrators in the market where they do very simple 
A to B orchestrators, if then do that, right? This happens on the whole GitOps movement, which I think is fascinating and incredibly powerful, but it's the same thing. A lot of times when somebody builds a GitOps integration, they don't, they're, they're like, my interaction with you is a file in Git or a commit in Git. And that's my interaction with operations. I, I really don't want to spend that much time worrying about what actually happened operationally downstream from that commit or that file change, right? The whole declarative operation model that Kubernetes is, is uh, promoting with CRDs and operators, those are all, uh, Crossplane is a good example of this. Those are all places where a developer is saying, uh, I'm using developer in a very broad sense, but is saying, hey, I'm going to give you information and then that's my abstraction point. I, I want a whole bunch of great operational logic to happen downstream from that. And I think if platform teams turn around and instead of trying to build uh, developer self-service enablement tools, sit down and say, you know what, I need an abstraction interface, and then I'm going to make sure that we have amazing, consistent, repeatable operations from that abstraction down, I think that becomes a really healthy relationship, a good collaboration point with between those two teams. Hmm. Like um, it also lets the platform engine say, you know what, I don't have to get upset when the next thing after backstage comes in or when a team that wrote their own version of backstage is a, is it doesn't want to migrate to backstage because they're already happy. You can actually have a conversation and say, okay, that's fine. Use your own front end developer enablement tool. But maybe as a platform engineering team, I can start to bring together these back, these back end operation pieces, right? I can, it all needs to disappear. So you don't care uh, how the, you know, you, or, you care. You always care, but but you you shouldn't have a a horse in the race over which one of those things necessarily win. Um, and that's really cool because that lets you then go back to legacy systems. You know, successfully implemented systems that are providing business value. The other name for legacy, and say you know we can actually we don't have to disrupt you. We can help you migrate or improve control flow over that because I'm not then arguing with you over your developer enablement tooling. Hmm. I like that. I like that. That's fantastic. So Rob, let me ask a follow-up on that um, because we kind of talked about interesting technologies. Is there anything people related like team dynamics or anything else mm. you're seeing with platform engineering to make it easier and more manageable? Uh, so I think, you know, we, we talked about this briefly, but the idea that, you're not, your job is not to bring controls into the teams. So I, I think the number one thing that we see from a failure point is the, the platform engineering efforts that assume that they will um, tell the, the teams that are already uh, allowed to do their own thing <laughs> to, that, that they're going to change their behaviors or influence or, or influence. Yes. Control. No. So I, I think from an organizational perspective, operations teams that think they're getting, you know, um, a platform teams being formed and it has CIO, C, you know, CEO, maybe um, mandates to, to you know, in, enforce IT standards. <laughs> I think they're going to find out they actually don't have the authority. They think they do really quickly. Um, and so they, you have to switch to the, the, the carrot model 
not the stick model if you want this to be successful. Um, the other thing I see is that you can do it with, you know, you don't have to create a platform that is the answer to all things all at once. And I, I think that that's the other mistake that we see people doing. They, they're like, oh, I have a mandate to create a platform team. That platform team will be the platform team with the platform. And um, that trying to take on everything is a real challenge. Um, and that's destined to fail because I watch, um, we've seen this, seems like telco is a little bit more prone to this because um, they love to have architecture teams that are going to fix everything. And they build, they, they start designing the universal solution to all their woes. And those projects never see the light of day. They're, they're just too broadly scoped. So I think the other thing that people need to be aware of is the platform team. It shouldn't be considered a mandate or a license to go build an architect, a new run everything product behind the scenes. I, I those are really one, they're really hard to build. And two, people don't have the political capital to, to win that way. You will get the capital if you are offloading op infrastructure and operational work from other teams. Find yeah. people line up <laughs> to, to have you, you, you take on that. It's hard. That's hard work. And, and I think, you know, operators are underappreciated for the complexity and the challenge they have in that work. But if, if you're, taking that off of people's off of teams plates they're going to they're going to embrace you as long as you don't try and make them change too much of what they're doing some they'll do good stuff rob we could we could probably talk about this for for multiple multiple hours uh and hopefully we do get a chance to to see each other and uh, and do that live um let me let me wrap this up because uh this has been an, an awesome way to kick off 2023 for us we want to we want to thank you for your time um What's the best way if folks want to uh, to pick your brain, pick the rack and team's brain? Uh, what's uh, what's what's good ways to find you? <laughs> um, the, the simplest is to come to our website rackn.com, join our Slack, and 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 hit us up that way. Um, I can't say Twitter anymore. We we definitely maintain presences on LinkedIn. Um, I am Zeekal on Hackyderm now, and so I'm I'm definitely starting to enjoy the community forming around Mastodon. Uh, and and being part of great conversations with that, um, you will see if you subscribe to our newsletter or um, you know just just RSS to our, the Rack and Blog, we will be producing a lot of material about platform engineering as we go, and and this is a very hot topic for us. Um, and I will tell you, we're, our approach is going to be operationally focused, so we're we're going to follow uh, sort of this this philosophy that I've been laying out of. Um, not trying to be the dev the dev tool, but enable the dev self service um, from the operations perspective. So if that's your bent, then that's that's a good way. We'll have a lot of material for that. Good stuff. Good stuff, Aaron. Uh, good kickoff to the year. Um, you wanna you wanna wrap it up and take us home? Yeah, absolutely. So first of all, Rob, thank you so much for your time. This is a f just awesome discussion, and and as Brian said, great way to kick off the year. So. For everyone listening, again, thank you for listening over the years. And, and if you enjoyed the show, please tell a friend. Uh, if you have the ability to leave a review wherever you get your podcast, please leave us a review as well. And so on behalf of Brian and myself, uh, thank you everyone for listening. And we will talk to everyone next week. Thank you for listening to The Cloudcast. Please visit thecloudcast.net to find more shows, show notes, videos, and everything social media. 